0: moving from conventional farming into a more regenerative system can seem like a big change but we've heard on previous podcasts about taking it slow and having a gradual approach on this week's over the Farmgate podcast we're taking a look at one farmer's journey into regenerative ag don't forget we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every friday so make sure you're subscribed on your favorite platform In the latest of our Farming with Nature series, we're taking a look at the gradual transformation of one farm from conventional to regenerative and how they've made it work. Over to Jess Fredenberg for more. Hello, everyone. Now,
1: a few weeks ago, we had financial advisor Gary Markham on the podcast talking about the profitability side of regenerative farming. A key point that Gary made was his belief that it's important to go into regen or agroecological farming gradually. To speak to someone about this, Gary put me in touch with Andrew Madeva, an arable farmer in Suffolk who has been doing just that. Andrew's family have been running a pretty conventional system for many years but he's more recently been experimenting with regen on parts of his land. He spoke to me very honestly about how it's been going, the challenges and wins and the buzz he's getting from it. Here's our chat. Andrew welcome to the Farmer's Garden podcast. You're looking nice and cozy in your office. I'm like sat here freezing in my G and barber and everything um can you can you start off by telling us a little bit about your farm you know where are you farming and what's your what's your farming system currently
2: yeah, morning, Jez. Uh, yeah, we are farming in uh, Suffolk, West Suffolk, near Berries Edmonds. Um, I'm sitting in my warm office with my uh, underfloor heating, and I'm looking outside at some sunshine, which is, which is lovely, <laughs> but it has been extremely wet for the last week. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're a family partnership. Um, we farm uh, predominantly heavy, sticky, nasty clay, um, um, and we're growing the typical sort of crops you'd expect for the, for that area. So it's wheat, barley, spring barley, beans, peas, um, occasionally oilseed rape when we manage to beat the flea beetle. Um, sugar beet occasionally. Um, that probably sums up what we're cropping. Um, it's predominantly me, well, I, I suppose I... I like to think I run the show. Um, My father, he's 76 and is still around and very interested in what we're doing. I've got a son of 22, who's sort of now back on the farm with us. Um, Really, really getting very interested in what's going on. Um, And I've got one full-time employee. So essentially it's three of us doing the work on the farm. Um, And we're we're doing a lot of uh, contract farming. Um, We've got some owned land, rented land bit of stubble to stubble um which all equals up to about 2,000 hectares that we we look after and manage
1: okay so it's a big operation and would you describe it up until sort of fairly recently as as pretty conventional in terms of your system and your way of doing things
2: yeah, I'd have said so. Um, conventional from, I suppose, I came back onto the farm um, about 1990, um, which I'm sure to you seems like a billion years ago. Um, <laughs> um, and about to-
1: I'm thinking of all sort of glitter and things like that,
0: Andrew.
2: <laughs> um, and so, yeah, when I came back to the farm in, in, in around that period, it was still very much lots of ploughing. Um lots of power harrowing and conventional crops of of um oilseed rape, um wheat and nearly all winter cropping. And we have moved since then. You know, we've we've sort of followed the trend of of min till which when you look at it now is probably called max till. Um and we are sort of slowly progressing towards a more regenerative um regenerative way of farming, I think.
1: So when did I guess when did this this sort of transition, like you say, towards more regenerative system when did this happen you know when did you kind of consciously make that that decision right i really want i want to kind of move the farm towards that and what sort of led you to that
2: um i've been i've been interested for a very long time and i have been for a very long time i mean certainly not going back to 1990 but um i think when we sort of started with the the min till as we called it then which involved lots of simba kit um, that was when I started thinking, you know, do we actually need to be doing all of this work? Um, so it's something that was there nagging in the back of my mind for a long, long time. Um, I went to Argentina on a trip that was organised by Brown Co with uh, Charles Whitaker and uh, Simon Weirmouth in 2011, and that was what really, really got me fired up. Um, It did look remarkably easy doing uh, sort of regenerative agriculture direct drilling when you're in the middle of a desert. But it's uh, slightly different in wet Suffolk, that's for sure. Um, But yeah, that's where my interest was really sparked, um, 2011 on that trip. Um, And since then, you know, I've got neighbours who are some dabbling a bit like I am with Regen. I've got uh, one or two who are particularly um, active uh, with Regen. And yes, lots of time looking over the hedge um, made me think actually I need to be doing this.
1: That's that's really interesting actually. Like you said, there's a bit of um, a movement around where you are. I mean, there certainly is across the across the UK and and also more globally at the moment. We'll we'll come back to that in a minute because I think that's a really important part of this. Um, But can you can you kind of outline for us, Andrew, what exactly you're doing now on the farm that you would consider to be more agroecological regenerative
2: we are doing a degree of direct drilling um, which i suppose for most people is where they'll think regen is um we have probably direct drilled i'm going to say 400, 400 to 500 hectares this year which is the first time i've gone into it um in a big way if you like um we perhaps unlike some people we have not grown any catch crops this year um largely because it was just so dry that I wasn't prepared to chuck the seed in the ground at vast expense and not see it grow um interestingly people who did around here seem to have got a catch crop but so we're not we haven't grown catch crops this year I have grown catch crops previously um some success some not um and we've grown a few cover crops as well um, so they're they my sort of building blocks, if you like, of, of regen. But I would stress I'm very much or I'm very sceptical of how good cover crops are on, the, uh, on heavy land. They, def- they definitely bring something, but it's whether they can be utilised properly. So I'm sceptical is, is where I probably am on cover crops and catch crops.
1: So you're sort of experimenting at the moment, I guess
2: very much so yes i mean we're, we're experimenting but experimenting on bigger area um, this year than we have done previously and i anticipate that to keep growing mm,
1: that's interesting so how are you um i guess how are you planning all of this within your existing operation and, and farming system because you're like you say you're kind of dabbling and experimenting you're taking some land out to do certain things and seeing how it goes how are you kind of i guess gradually Introducing all that, and what what's your kind of whole approach to that? We're
2: careful. We're careful where we are introducing. Um, and when I talk about regen, I'm really talking about direct drilling. For me, you know, the, the cover crop issue and whatever is slightly different. But I'm largely looking at it from a direct drilling perspective. Um, so we're we're very careful where we start direct drilling in the rotation. Um, so if we we can. You know, if we can drill after beans or peas, um, oilseed rape, they are very easy wins. That's that's the place to start for us. Um, And if we have a contract farm or a farm somewhere that doesn't have beans in the rotation for a year for whatever reason or peas, you know, we'll just leave it. We're we're going at it very slowly. Excuse me. We're going at it very, very slowly and picking out the easy wins. Um, I'd also say that I'm definitely not afraid to get a cultivator in the ground if i need to if i if there's something wrong or something needs correcting i am definitely not the kind of person who's evangelical about it i must not do any cultivation it has if it has to be done for the crop then i will do it um but yeah it's it, for me it's picking the right place in the rotation and going from there
1: mm, yeah and it's it's something that um gary markham if if anyone was listening to that episode a couple of weeks ago was talking about, was this going in gradually so that it's a little bit less, potentially less scary financially and things like that. Um, and you've been working with Gary as well, haven't you? Is, is that something that has kind of helped?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've known Gary for many years. I mean, he's been our accountant for, for years. And for the last three, possibly four years now, I've been involved with the groundswell benchmarking group that uh, Gary heads up. Um, and that's that's very very useful source of information. There, there's some good guys in there um, doing some good things. But it's it's interesting to compare people who are gone or going wholesale into regen and somebody like me who's a little bit scared <laughs> um, and just likes to because I'm farming for different people. I've got to protect their income and my own income, and I don't want to introduce shocks into anybody's system so yeah if i can if i can just feed it in gradually that seems to work best but that um information from the benchmarking and that group is invaluable
1: so you're saying that um direct drilling is your main sort of focus at the moment but as if assuming that sort of goes well and you work out how that can that can really work for you do you kind of envisage starting to do other things that would move you more towards regen as well
2: i I, I want I, and I really do want to make catch cropping and cover cropping work for me um, I, cover cover cropping on on this heavy land seems to me that you have to have it destroyed by the end of end of December early January at the absolute latest to get the ground to dry um, if I can make cover cropping work, fantastic. I'm not in SFI. Um, I don't believe the payment rates are enough to um, to cover the aggravation um, and the prescriptions of SFI. Um, so I think cover cropping, if I do it or expand on it, will be done very much on my terms. So I can destroy it when I want, plant what I want, have as much as I want, or in some cases, none whatsoever. Um, so yeah, cover, I mean, that has to be where my um, future is is in cover cropping, catch cropping, but making it work is is my ch- That's my challenge at the moment.
1: Hmm. What what are the certain sort of key indicators that you sort of set yourself to to work out how you know what, what you want to find out basically?
2: I suppose what I want to find out is that the end result has to be there in yield. You know, if there's not nothing else matters really apart from the final yield of the of the crop following the catch crop or cover crop or whatever it may be that that's the bit that has to work if that doesn't work nothing before works i have seen where i have cover cropped over the winter and tried to drill spring crops and it's also evidence from people within this benchmarking group and speaking to friends who are doing it there are some pretty shocking um, yield reductions in some cases drilling spring cereals particularly after catch crops particularly on the green there's there's talk of people losing two tons a hectare um and when you get molting barley at 300 plus pounds a ton it doesn't work you've got you've got to you've got to get that yield
1: is that um do you think that's um from what you've seen so far is that um something that's just happening in the first few seasons or is it due to the, the land that you've got or what's going on there? And do you see that changing as well?
2: I think possibly there's something to do with the land. I do think it possibly changes the longer you do it. <clears throat> um, I think it's, it's essential to get the right species into cover crops, um, although I'm, I'm yet to find the ones that I think are perfect. Do I say, it, do I, I think, do you say, do I say it changing? Yes, it, it, it has to change, but that is change with education and experience.
1: Mm, yeah, well, well, it's just a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you say, you're you're experimenting, you're working with other people, benchmarking, trying to find out all this stuff, aren't you? Absolutely. Um do you think that, I mean, is, is one of the aims also, you mentioned yield, but is one of the aims also to reduce your input costs?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, reducing input cost has to be the secondary thing. I mean, that, yeah, without doubt, reducing intra, uh, input costs um, along with fixed costs is essential. Um, at the moment, I would say I'm probably halfway along that journey. Um, we've sort of got a, a mix of, A mix of systems at the moment which is possibly the the very worst place I could be with fixed costs but that is that's on the back of introducing this slowly um so yeah input costs I can see coming down reducing nitrogen seems to be um the real buzz at the moment um I think a lot of that is due to uh, the cost of nitrogen funnily enough um there are a lot of people who are reducing nitrogen quite significantly and doesn't seem to be having any detrimental uh Impact. So that is definitely something I'm exploring. Have done a little bit of. We'll do a bit more this year. And when I say I'm doing some, it's it's tramline trials. It's it's certainly not huge areas, but it is tramline trials and reducing by 40 kilos, 60 kilos, 80 kilos, 100 kilos, um, and, and just see where we go from there.
1: Do you see yourself at all reintroducing livestock if we're talking about replacing nitrogen? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> i've been a shepherd um no I, I i don't i say that in jest really i certainly wouldn't um introduce my own life livestock um i wouldn't be afraid to have um you know a flying flock of ewes come in or sheep come in over the winter grazing cover crops it's again they have to be grazed on my terms um and I'm not sure some of the grazers would like to be moving the sheep off as quickly as I or many others would like to see them go. But introducing livestock, definitely wouldn't be afraid of it. But um, it definitely won't be, won't be my sheep. It might be my brother in law who brings some, but it won't be me.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Have you seen anybody else in the, the benchmarking group reintroduce yes either their own or someone else's?
2: Yes, yeah. there, are, there are people within the group who are grazing livestock. Um, not many, if I'm honest, most of them, I would say are on similar land type to me, which doesn't really work for livestock um grazing over the winter but uh, yet yeah, there it's it is happening, and people are trying it um mm. whether it will be the panacea, I'm not sure
1: yeah, wait and see, All, like you say, quite experimental at the moment absolutely what, what has been the the reaction? from, you know, your, your peers, I guess, from from other farmers. You mentioned a few people around you were dabbling in this. You're obviously in a benchmarking group, but I'm guessing that's not everybody. So what's kind of been the, the reaction, talking to people?
2: Well, most of them still talk to me, which, um, you know, has to be quite positive. Um, <laughs> I, think, I, I think probably if I went back five years or 10 years and had started this journey... I might be seeing as a little bit of an outlier and a, a little bit freaky. Um, maybe they still do think that, I don't know. But I think it's becoming much more accepted. Um, people are much more interested. And I think, um, I think people want to see it succeed on my farm and everybody else's farm that I visited because they know, they're, they know it's how they're going to have to do it. Um, and I think they're quite, quite um, accepting of anybody who's prepared to put the neck on the line and uh, make it work and demonstrate that it does work.
1: How important has it been for you to be part of a benchmarking group and also to see, like you said, your neighbours starting to do this as well?
2: Very, very important. I think um, if I was doing it on my own and starting off, as a few brave people did several years ago, You've got absolutely nowhere to turn to for advice. Veritable um, the, the, the research was done at that stage. So I think there's a wealth of information around now, um, be that in farming press or speaking to neighbours doing it, benchmarking groups, um, conferences, I mean, even YouTube. I mean, there is so much information around. Uh, it, it's very, very useful. But speaking, speaking to people on their farm is invaluable
1: what do you think are the biggest things you've learned so far from it, Andrew
2: keep going keep going at it um I did when I when I v- first tried direct drilling was very soon after I came back from Argentina so it'd probably been 2012 two, uh, 10 years ago I had a couple of years trying and I really lost faith with it quite quickly and I sort of semi gave up and and another two years later, I thought, I can't, can't give up. I've got to carry on. And I, I had kept a small area in the regenerative style. And over that period where I'd given up on the sort of larger area, that really turned a corner. And it was performing equally as well as anything else, if not better. So that was my... That was the point I thought, right, I, I just have to get on with this. Um, yeah, and I, and I sort of realised that some of this land that I'd been... Um, um, doing it in a regenerative fashion for several years, I had a bit of a moment. I thought, well, if I if I have if I'm going to roll this out across the rest of the farm, by the time I've got it all right, I'm actually going to be retired. So I need to I actually need to get on and do this, or else I'm never going to see the benefit of it myself. So that was really what I thought. Let's you know, let's just get on with it. But you have to persevere.
1: Mm. I guess it's a it's a case of to begin with, it's waiting for nature, isn't it? It's waiting for those natural ecosystems to kind of recover and start functioning again as they're as they're meant to be i guess
2: definitely yeah Yeah, without any question um i mean everybody talks about you see lots lots more worms um and you do but it does take time it doesn't just happen overnight but when you do start to see it functioning the soil functioning properly you don't need 101 different tests and um, 101 different scientists telling you it's working properly. You can see it. You can put a spade in the ground. You can put a fork in the ground. And you can just see that your soil looks right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah I, I can't even describe what I mean. But there's a big difference between soil that looks wrong and soil that looks right. And any, any, de- any farmer knows when the soil is right. But it does take time.
1: What has what that, that felt like? For you to, to see that change you know, on a personal level,
2: awesome, yeah. yeah, really, really good. It's it's a real good. Um, it feels really, really good actually. When you when I, I just twenty minutes ago before we started this, I was just walking across a field that um, one of the fields that's been in regen for the longest, and I stuck a fork in the ground and full of worms, you know, and real big, fat, juicy worms and, and the soil is crumbly it just looks right and it just is so so rewarding to know that actually i've done very very little on that field in a 10-year period and it's got a structure that rivals anything that's been managed within an inch of its life it it, it's a great feeling i love it yeah i really do love the the buzz that comes with it
1: Mm, sounds amazing do you do you think um I mean we've we've talked a lot on this uh this kind of whole series about a mindset shift and a different understanding of the way like your farm works. Do you feel that happening in yourself?
2: Yes, I do. Um it it, it is a real mindset shift. You do go from the very tidy farmer to uh, I don't like to think of myself as a scruffy farmer, but it's certainly an unconventional look to the fields. Um, you know, you'll, you'll drive past fields and you think, well, I just can't see can't see the weed. It's not there. It looks awful and it, still see the stubble. And, but that has changed quite quickly in my mindset over the last couple of years as I've become a bit more enthused, but not enthused by it, more accepting of it. I'm um, accepting of the, the, the visual aspect. Um, yeah it just doesn 't phase me anymore at all i think I think a lot of people a lot of neighbors think that i'm sure i'm sure they still think where wherever is a crop gone but for me it's uh, it's a mindset change of what i'm expecting to see and what i 'm happy looking at and interestingly you know I'm, I've got a seventy six year old father and a twenty two year old son so my son is um hundred percent loves the whole idea of it um I think most People of my age, um, I'm 52, and I think most people's father, who is 76, would be, oh, I don't like that boy. You know, that's uh, that's not what we, what we want to see. And he's been one of the biggest advocates for it possible. He's you know, he's um, a very, he's very keen on what we're doing. Um, like me, you know, it's taken a while to get your get your eyes eyesight right, if you like, what you're seeing to accept what you're seeing, but he can see a good crop now when a lot of people can't see it so yeah he's his his mindset has changed uh, you know he, he, even at the age of 70 plus he's he's uh, very
1: yeah very keen on it it's wonderful you've got that support on either end of the the you know the generation in your in your family like that um,
2: absolutely i mean we we're, we're you know the family and staff we're 100% Um, set on what we're doing we're all we've all got the same um, ethos we all want it to work and I I think that is essential I think if you've got one person who's not um, keen on the idea or uh, happy to adapt it's always going to be a problem I think everybody has to be on board um, with the same goal
1: Mm, I think you're right what would you what would you say to someone listening who's at that point where they're like "Mm, this is kind of interesting them they're not really sure if they want to do it or not they're a bit maybe a bit scared like you were saying earlier what would you say to them?
2: You've got to do it you know get on with it and do it Um, there is there is definitely a cost element to doing it because you can't just go and change your system without spending some money on some kit Um, but you don't need to spend vast sums of money Um, But ultimately, we all know that we're not going to be supported. Personally, I don't think we're going to be supported at all. There may be some support, but I think if you're going to carry on farming, you've got to get your costs down. Um, And it may take you a few years to get there and to get your yields up again. So get on with it and stop messing about, which is what I did for years. For, for, For far too long, I messed about um and it's probably my father actually said just get on with it and uh, <laughs> go and get the kit and get the job done and make a start um and yeah I, I would say that to anybody now after doing it and we are we're not on easy land i mean you it, it, everybody always says well it won't work on my land it won't work here it won't work there and i'm quite sure there are some exceptions but i don't think there's many i think um i think most people could make a go of it somehow
1: What would be your three top tips for someone starting? Um,
2: Indices get your your P and K indices have to be spot on. Um, Number one actually should be drainage. Your drainage has to be right. Um, And I think it's probably not super essential, but it makes it so much easier if you've managed to get your fields level. Um, before you start, um, you need to, you need to prepare for the journey two or three years before you before you um, actually make a start doing it, um, and that that comes through the rotation. So you know if you know you're going to start with your pulse crop or your oilseed rape crop, make sure that that field is right before you start. So don't have huge tram tramlines in it. Make sure the previous crop is established well, and then the entry is. Easier. It's never going to be. It's never going to be pain-free or dead easy. There's always going to be something that goes wrong. But they are the three things, really. I think pH is also essential. You know, it's just good farming. It's just good farming in a different way. We all we all know we all know how to farm well. It's just it's just making sure we do.
1: Andrew, thank you. I feel really inspired by that. I, I think other people will too. I think that's awesome. Thank you.
2: Good. Well, I hope so. I hope so.
0: idyllic childhood spent in the great british countryside is something many of us raised in rural communities take for granted but for thousands of urban children around the uk it's something they've never had the chance to experience on this week's over the farmgate podcast we're taking a look at those opening up their farms to city kids don't forget we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every friday so make sure you're subscribed on your favorite platform Jess Fredenberg has been finding out more on why sharing the countryside with children can be so rewarding.